0: Bible Books in 30 Minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor and Bible teacher, Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tavner.
1: Moving along the shelf of books of the Bible, Mike, we're now moving from a book that we don't know who
0: wrote it, to a book that I guess we do. This is a letter from James. Yep, he makes it pretty clear, doesn't he? James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So the obvious question then is, who is this James? Well, it's not James the apostle, James the brother of John, the sons of thunder, because he'd been martyred, we read in Acts chapter 12, before this letter was written. So rather this is James He's often called James the Just or James of Jerusalem. And he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's the one, you might remember, who came up with the solution for the Jewish Gentile problem in Acts chapter 15 at the Council of Jerusalem. So he's the leader of the Jerusalem church. And here's the bit that comes as a bit of a surprise to people. He was also the brother of. Of Jesus. So he's one of several sons born to Joseph and Mary after Jesus' birth. Though I need to say that some church traditions, out of a desire to maintain the doctrine of what they call Mary's perpetual virginity, that she always stayed a virgin, actually interpret the word here not as brothers but as cousins. But the word in the Greek is the normal, everyday word for brother so it's James the brother of Jesus leader of the church in Jerusalem and an obvious question is well if he was a brother of Jesus why on earth does he start out by saying James a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't make reference to the family connection no and I think he does that deliberately I think you know the last thing he wants to do is to sort of pull rank James, (coughs) James <coughs> the uh, brother of Jesus and he's modeling something here he's taking the low and humble place he might be the brother of Jesus but just like you and me he remains a servant of the Lord Jesus and do you know what At the end of the day doesn't matter what role or function we have in church how important we think we might become we all stay servants of Jesus so this is a letter. So who is he writing to? Why does he need to write it? And and, and what's the gist of the letter? Mm. So he tells us who he's writing to, except it's a bit mysterious to us, isn't it? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. The 12 tribes. Well, that immediately makes us think, of course, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's a sort of picture language of saying what he is writing to, is Jewish Christians scattered among the nations. Jewish Christians who have had to leave Judea, probably because of the increasing pressure that there was against Christians. I mean, as as the decades go by, the the pressure really starts to heat up. This letter was probably written, we think, probably just before A.D. 50. And, and if that's the case, it's possibly the earliest letter in the New Testament. And as this pressure increases, some of the Jewish Christians decided just to leave Judea and to move, he says here, to the nations, to the rest of other parts of the Roman Empire. But what they found was when they moved there, they'd sort of jumped from the frying pan into the fire. And That, of course, wherever they went, there were often Jews in other parts of the Roman empires. And we know from Acts that they often stirred up trouble against the Jewish Christians. And increasingly, Rome itself would start to turn against the Christians, though that's not happened by this stage. So it's really opposition from Jewish believers opposing them for their Jewish faith, a little bit like we saw in a previous episode when we looked at Hebrews, a letter that was written to people in a similar kind of circumstance. So, James is
1: out to encourage, to help, presumably,
0: and, and how does he do that? Yeah, and do you know what? This is probably one of the most practical letters of the whole of the New Testament. It really is just full of one thing after another of how we should live as Christians, and it's, it's how we should live in a scenario where, you know, we are facing opposition. He starts his letter by saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face many kinds of trials. So that's the setting for it. They were facing trials, troubles, opposition, testing. And this letter is saying, do you know what? It's a joy when that happens, because that's the way that Jesus himself walked and God can help you as you walk through this. He will strengthen you. He will help you. Don't say it's God who's tempting me and taking me through this. God doesn't do it. He's there to help you in this. And so then he he goes through a whole number of really practical areas. It's almost, I was just reading through this letter again this morning and There's not a logical flow of argument to it. You know, when we've looked at some of Paul's letters previously, we see how he builds up an argument slowly, carefully, sometimes across several chapters. But here, this is almost like a a whole series of bullet points of different areas of life. So he'll talk about the importance of not just being talkers, but doers. He talks about the issue of not showing favoritism, how faith and works have to operate together, what you use your tongue for, wisdom, how we should submit to God, how to deal with quarrels and attitudes that you have inside you, issues about money and caring for the poor, how to handle suffering, how to pray for the sick. Now, just in those bullet points I've given you there, you can see a a whole wide range. Mm, Everyday things. Yeah, and, and they're not in any particular, it's not that this one leads on to the next one. There are a whole load of bullet points. So I would say when you come to James, just read it like that. Read it as a whole series of practical bullet points. It's almost like, you know, and here's the next thing he thought that was really important. And as we said in a previous episode, remember that these letters generally weren't written by someone sitting down and writing the whole thing at one go. They would have probably been dictated over a number of days or even weeks. And that often explains why there's not, say, a logical flow of argument. But but James is just eager here to give them bang, 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 one thing after another of how to live in a Christ-like way in a situation where you are being opposed. And, you know, that's why this letter is still so relevant for today. We live in a culture in the West where increasingly Christianity is not just despised or neglected, but is increasingly opposed, or we can believe it as long as we don't actually want to live it out or even challenge other people about living it out. And so these practical encouragements of live out your faith, if you really want me to sum up what's James about, maybe that's a good title for it. Live out your faith.
1: It's one thing to have this rallying cry from him, you know, true joy, etc., when they're facing such challenges. But in encouraging them to actually just live out their faith, that presumably is how they cope with the
0: persecution they were facing. Yes, I think so. It, it's funny, isn't it? I, I think for all of us in life, when, when we're in a challenging situation, when you're going through something, when you're going through some suffering, For some reason, one of the best ways of getting through it is not to focus on it, but to turn outwards and to get on and do something almost like to busy yourself. And in a sense, that's what he's saying here. Don't focus on the suffering. Actually, frankly, suffering is just part of the package of being a Christian that shouldn't surprise you but here are things you should be giving yourself to don't waste your energy worrying about that God's able to keep you what you really need to be doing is getting on with this stuff
1: now as anybody coming to this for the first time might think well that was for then and this is now how relevant is what James is saying to his readers to us today I
0: think hugely relevant and I think any even a skim read through this book shows that the issues um, that he deals with uh, are still as relevant today in the 21st century as they were then. I mean, every single one that I went through, I think is still relevant for today. Let's just take one, the issue of how you handle your money and being careful not to show favoritism to the more wealthy members of the church and sort of looking down on those who are not as well off. I, I think, you know, most, certainly many churches will have quite a wide cross-section. If I if I think in the church that I'm part of, you know, we, we have a huge cross-section of people from every strata of society and different backgrounds. And some of them are delightful Christians who are scraping money together to make ends meet and maybe living on benefits and others are equally delightful Christians, you know, who are very, very well off. And James calls upon these Christians to let their faith be seen in practical ways. And I think it's still as relevant for us today. Don't let money and possessions sort of make you blind to a brother or sister's needs. Uh, He's got this great passage where he says, you know, how can you say, um, oh, God bless you, brother, you know, God be with you. But show no compassion and concern if you see that they are in need and have no clothes on their back or no food in their belly. Faith has to work. So there's one area that's still as relevant for now as it was then. Maybe another just picked at random is he's got a whole section in chapter three about being careful what we do with our tongue. And that's definitely as relevant today as ever. In fact, maybe we could say today, not only just what we do with our tongue, but what we do with our thumbs. Because for many of us, it's our thumbs on our phones that quickly fire off thoughts or reactions on some of the social media accounts. So I think we could... Free chapter three and say hey don't just see this as about your tongue see it also as about your thumb and he has great pictures in chapter three to help us about that he basically says look the tongue's a very small thing but it can have a huge and powerful effect and he says think of a, a bit in a horse's mouth really tiny but it can steer a whole horse think about a rudder on a ship very small but it can steer a huge tanker think about a match or a little kindling fire it can cause a whole forest fire and that's what our tongues are like tongue stroke thumbs i want to keep saying here alike such a small part of the body but can have huge effect if we do not think before we speak if we do not think before we tweet or text or Facebook or whatever it might be. So really practical teaching there on be careful what you say, be careful how you use your tongue stroke thumbs, because, you know, both good and bad can come out from it. And as Christians, what we should be doing is making sure that good comes out of it. And of course, in a situation where people, are under pressure or opposition like these were it 's really easy to come out with the wrong thing isn't it and to react or to uh, and suddenly it is out or or someone puts something on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and you know and you fire off a reply, and the minute you fire off, whether it 's from your mouth or from your thumbs, you fired off something in anger and i have to confess i used to react on things like facebook far too quickly about things and i'd end up writing things that afterwards i oh, thought i was really a bit harsh Mike. so i i've actually trained myself now i i never respond to anything instantly i at least go away and think about it and think is this really what i want to say and i might want to challenge something but am i doing it in a gracious and an upbuilding way, and that's really the appeal in chapter three to use our tongue to build up. So, yeah, all those of you out there, you know, who love tweeting and texting and facebooking and instagramming and and all the other uh, social media things that are out there, read James chapter three and just think before you tweet.
1: Is James though, in a sense, just sort of saying, be good,
0: you know, live a good life? It would actually be really easy to come to this book and think that's what he's saying. But he's not. I mean, first of all, he's made it very clear in his introduction who he's writing to. He is writing to Christians. So this is about lifestyle for Christians. This is not lifestyle to get saved. This is lifestyle for those who are saved, those whom he's already addressed in his opening words as belonging to Jesus and who are scattered across the nations of those days. It has been misinterpreted at times because in chapter two, there's a whole section where James talks about faith and works, what we do. And sometimes people have said, aha, here is clear contradiction between James and Paul. Paul says very clearly that we are saved by faith. We're justified by faith. Whereas James says in his letter, no, it's not at all. It's by works. It's by what we do. And it looks like the two are contradicting one another. But you know, one of the things I've learned over the years is whenever you come to what seems to be a contradiction in the Bible, the key is always to look at the context. Context is king. And if you look at the context of what Paul teaches and James teaches, it then becomes much more clear. When Paul talks about works and faith, he's always addressing the issue of Those who think that keeping the old Jewish law could save them. And his argument is no, no, no. Keeping the Jewish law, doing good works cannot save you. It never has. Look right back to Abraham. People have always been saved by faith. All the law did was give an expression for that faith to be worked out. You are not saved by your works. You were saved by faith in Jesus is his challenge to those who thought works could save them. James now is the flip side of the coin. He is saying to people who were stressing, all that matters is faith. And as long as I believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter how I live. James is saying, no, no, no. It matters very much how you live. Your faith has to be expressed in works. In fact, if I can't see any good works, good lifestyle, I could seriously doubt that there is any serious faith in Jesus within you. So they aren't conflicting, they're complementary, but they are answering different questions. And what James is addressing here is, if you really have faith, then I tell you, it will be seen in the way that you live. And if it doesn't, then we can seriously doubt whether you've understood what faith in Jesus is about at all.
1: So James is also trying to sort of highlight the the hallmarks really, is he of,
0: of real believers. Yes, and it's interesting, isn't it? The hallmarks of real believers in this letter are not, they go to church on Sunday, they read their Bible every day. Those things are really important, let me add in quickly. But it's interesting, isn't it? It's it's really practical stuff. The hallmarks of being a follower of Jesus is that you don't just listen to God, he says in chapter one, but you put it into action. Hallmarks of a follower of Jesus in chapter two is that you don't deal with people on the basis of favoritism. The hallmark of a follower of Jesus in chapter three is that you learn how to use your tongue, stroke your thumbs. The hallmark of a follower of Jesus is that you learn how to submit properly to God and to one another. The hallmark of a follower of Jesus in chapter five is that you use your money wisely. The hallmark of a follower of Jesus is that you pray for those who are sick. So they're very, very practical things in life. So I'm imagining his audience,
1: as it were, his readership, those that hear the letter, listening, taking this in, and trying to imagine how they would be responding,
0: how they would receive the encouragement that he is essentially giving them. You know, I think sometimes we just have to use a bit of godly imagination as we are reading these. And I, I think the thing is, the whole of this letter is, is undergirded by encouragement. You know, it's a really encouraging letter as well as an urging them to live well letter. This whole thing of considerate Pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. It goes on to say, "Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him." So, there's real encouragement there. You know, James has told us. Yeah, first of all, he's recognised it's tough. You know, sometimes people just need to know that you recognise they're going through a hard time in life. Don't be afraid of of telling that to people, acknowledging that. So he's acknowledging that they're going through a tough time and pressure from friends and family, but he's also encouraging them, blessed are you when you persevere. And of course, the persevering is not just a persevering in a theological sense. I am persevering in my belief that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God who died on the cross to save me. Praise God for that. But it's a persevering in this practical way. And I think as they heard this letter being read, and as we've said before, you know, not everybody had their individual copies on their phone to read. You know, they would have heard this being read in their church group, in their home group. I think they would have been, on the one hand, really encouraged that he understands we're going through tough times. But you know what? He also loves us enough to not let us off the hook and to encourage us to keep living these things out. I think there would have been the odd squirming because clearly James here is dealing with some practical issues and I don't think he sat there thinking, oh, what shall I talk about next? Oh, I know, money. I think he knew exactly what was going on. So I think there was... Probably a little bit of squirming at times. I mean, sometimes it's healthy to squirm because we have to face up to things. For example, chapter five begins with, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. So it seems like there was some rich in the church who just were not using what God had given them for the good of the Christian work and blessing the poor uh, and so on. And he even talks about, you know, the wages that you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your field are crying out against you. Oh my goodness, that sounds very, very specific, doesn't it? So it sounds like there were some wealthy people in the church. Clearly, it's a very mixed church. They're all very wealthy and very poor. And it looks like some of the very wealthy were still carrying over some of their old behaviors. Remember most people who worked for others in these days, were day laborers. They they got their money at the end of the day. They needed it to go and buy food. And, and yet James says, the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You know, you might not have heard them saying, could we have our wages, please? But God has. So I think there was encouragement that he understood, encouragement that he saw the issues that faced them. But also, I think, yeah, they would realize there were some issues they needed to face up to, uh, like the rich there, or in chapter four, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I find that an interesting one. So there was some squabbling going on in the church. And why? Well, I think most of us can probably identify this. When you are under pressure, who is it? that you squabble with most. Now, I know that all the married couples out there immediately are probably thinking my husband or my wife or my kids or the person that I'm really close to at work. And, and it's like when the pressure's on, you often end up like reacting with those who are closest to you, don't you? You know, you're far too polite to react against, you know, the boss or whatever. So, you, you know, you take it out on the wife when you get home or, you you know, you get a bit irritable or a, a bit short, or maybe that's just me and nobody else who's listening <laughs> to this program. And I think that's what was happening here under the pressure that had come against them as a church It seems like, you know, there was that sort of wrestling and wriggling and reacting, and it was spilling out in their relationship with one another. So I think, you know, when you say to me, how do I think they would have received this? I think with a lot of encouragement, but I also think with a a little bit of soul searching and realising we have done that, haven't we? You know, I, I do need to go back and say sorry to my wife. I've been squabbling there. I do need to pay my wages that bit more promptly. I I have been using my tongue stroke, my thumbs a bit too freely. I have been showing favoritism to my friends or my social circle because it takes a bit more effort to reach out to social circles that are different to me. So I think there would have been a, a healthy challenge received. From the church, but the wonderful thing is, it is done in a very positive spirit. I, I don't sense even in the rebukes that are here. It seems to be done not in a finger wagging way, but really, come on, guys. You know, I, I know you're under pressure, but you know, you've really got to pay your wages at the end of the day. You really need to stop this squabbling that is going on. And and I love how he ends his letters. He says, brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And it's almost like there's a final appeal there to say, you know, come on, help one another in this. I can't just do this from a distance through my letter, help one another and there may be a bit of a challenge in doing so, but hey, what joy in turning someone back from the wrong way, as long as you are ready to be turned back as well. Because as you said,
1: he was a leader in Jerusalem, James. So he was writing from a distance. He'd obviously, by the sound of it, targeted the the big issues that he seemed to be aware of. Mm. So though it
0: has this sort of bittiness, it is targeted in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think, you know, to think of these almost as bullet points is a helpful picture because they're clearly the bullet points that he had been informed of somehow or other or become aware of. So, yeah, let's not think of these as him just picking out a whole number of issues at random. They seem to be very specific issues And they do seem to all make sense in the light of, I think these are the sort of things that happen when we feel under pressure. You know, whether that's pressure at work, whether it's pressure against our faith, you know, and we get that little bit irritable, we get short, we we don't have many margins, you know, and margins get decreased, don't they? So when... Someone says something wrong or we're responding or someone's asking for something. It's like we've not got much margin to respond in grace. And I think this whole letter is an appeal to to find some margins for one another and to start living with more grace to one another so that you've got the margin to actually put your faith into practice rather than letting the pressure become the predominant shaper of how you live. And that's what it looks like. It happened with these people.
1: We've often found with these letters, particularly with Paul, that there's a conclusion, a punchline, you know, uh, what's the sort of abiding message, would you say, that James has wanted to convey?
0: I think faith works. (laughs) A bit of a play on words there, really, because it's about faith and works. But he wants them to know that that faith works. Faith has to work. If it's real faith, it'll get worked out. If it's real faith, it will get opposed. But the answer to faith that gets opposed is to get that faith working even more. Not to retreat, not to go back into self-pity and self-focused living, but to turn outwards even more and to let your faith work to let it be seen to make it work and shine even more strongly so what's it about faith works mike bowman has been talking to david taverner listen to more episodes anytime bible books in 30 minutes through the bible book by book from genesis to revelation this is a united christian broadcasters production For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.